to our business now. Hit it there, Bob. <laughs> um, so we've been in a series called Long Story Short, and it's really six simple movements, and, and uh, the outline of, of which is from this book here by Joshua McNall, Long Story Short. And, uh, and it's a fantastic book. If you want to want to grab that at some point uh, for yourself, then it certainly is a great resource. And in these six simple movements, uh, we're at now at the sixth one. So this is uh, this is really the last Sunday of our series. And as you know, this is the end of Epiphany. So we have been in the season of Epiphany. And today you may have noticed that even the the colors here have changed from green to now white because of the story we read, the gospel story of the transfiguration of Christ. He is transfigured before them. And really, this is where uh, this book is going to begin. So if you receive this book or you would like to, to take a copy of this book, then if you follow this through the Lenten journey, it begins really with uh, the moments after the transfiguration of Christ. And this is very important because he is, he is showing them a moment in time just a bit of a glimpse, a taste, really, of glory. If he showed them all of glory, they would be surely incinerated, for the body in its current condition cannot handle that. But one day, we are told, we will enter into his glory, won't we? Even with a resurrected body that is like his. So he is, as Paul will say, the first fruits of the resurrected race, or Said another way, all the family is named after him who is the head, Christ. And this we believe, and this we affirm. And so I call you again to a holy Lent as we change seasons. We're also going to be changing series, and we'll be moving to a series called Listen to Him. And we'll be there all the way to Easter. And so I invite you uh, to join us, of course, through those times. Um, So if you will, turn with me. This morning to First Peter, First Peter one, and this text struck me early or this morning, and I ended up changing the scripture foundation that will that will um, move from this morning. Of course, in our simple movements, we've talked about creation, we've talked about the fall, we've talked about Israel and Jesus and the church, and now here we are, really in the wake of our dear sister's passing talking about a new creation, and oh, how we groaned even yesterday and this morning for that new creation to be shown and to be seen. And there's many places to go to look for that new creation and, and, and really find a foundation, but this one in particular from Peter himself, who, by the way, was at this conferencing of the transfiguration, wasn't he? Peter, James, John, who represent the church. Elijah, Moses, who represent the Old Testament. You have Old Testament and New Testament coming together over what? The center, Christ. It's a conferencing on the mountain. And this, I mean, there's so much symbolism here. We don't have time to move into all of it. Let me just briefly read to you Peter's words to us this morning. Blessed, this is verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the eschaton, or the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Peter had seen Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lord, we pray that you would simply bless the reading of your word this morning to our hearts, and may we hear you, we pray in your name, amen. Well, this is the end of our series, and one can talk about end in two ways. One is the end of a process, you know, this is the end of this process. But then end is also used, as it was actually, this is why I was chuckling in our, in our epistle reading, it was actually used in this way, the end, uh, forgive me, it was, yeah, it was the epistle reading actually, uh, from Hebrews concerning Moses, who it says he veiled himself because he didn't want to show the end of glory, which is in saying in, in the sense that it's the purpose of the process, not just the end of a series, but instead the purpose of the whole thing itself. It's the end of all things, you understand. And he says, that was veiled to us because it would have blown them away completely. They would have, they would have died before his glory. And so he has to be veiled in this way. Uh, and so here we are at the end. And what we're going to talk about is the end, but also the end of all things. And so the other day I went, felt like I needed just to get out in nature. You know, after all this rain, it's like nice just to take a walk, you know, and take a breath of fresh air in the woods, right? And so uh, when I left the school, uh, I don't know, Thursday morning, I, uh, I went to this wooded area that I knew about and I'd driven through before that I've always wanted to, to ride my bike down, actually, and I was kind of surveying and all, and I pulled over and kind of pulled off the road and got out and just sort of walked around and was enjoying creation, was, was thinking about you, was thinking about the weekend and asking the Lord to speak to me. And uh, it, was, it was a nice time. I took a few pictures. Actually, one of the pictures, uh, flipped to that picture there, Harrison, was here. And... Uh, you know, thinking about just sort of the journey of life and trying to do my best to be artistic, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a romantic wannabe, right, as far as romanticism is concerned. But, but nonetheless, I found beauty in just, just this image. And, and unbeknownst to me, when I took the image, there was more beauty to be found, but it was in the mud. For my truck was stuck in the mud and I didn't even know it. <clears throat> I don't have four-wheel drive like some of you do. 
I have the, the two-wheel version uh, that, that runs my truck, and the back wheels were just simply spinning once I got back to my truck on this peaceful, you know, serene Thursday morning. And, and I began to, to try to get myself out of, of the mud, <laughs> and, and, I, and I used some techniques that my dad had used before when, when he was stuck in the mud with us as children. And, and really, it's, it's quite simple to get unstuck. One thing is you don't continue to hit the accelerator. I asked, that's the last thing. You, once you start spinning, it, it's over and you need to do something different, okay? Uh, you, you don't just keep spinning unless you've got four-wheel drive and can crank it in, you know. Um, you don't start spinning because you get into a rut. And, and ruts are bad. And ruts are way more difficult than, than somewhat level muddy ground. And so I, I would back up and pray and say, all right, Lord, help me, help me get this. And I'd, I'd spin again. And so back up and spinning. The problem was I only had so far to back up, right? There was a fence here. It was private property. And I couldn't run over, couldn't run over the fence, you know. It was actually a cable. And uh, it was locked because I checked. Um, and I'm on a slope, you know. And so I, I would back up and spin and back up and spin. So I said, okay, I, I got I to do some. The second level is... Is okay, not just to find new ground, but to, to gain some traction somehow, right? So I just grabbed some branches that were around. I mean, I'm, in, I'm not really enclosed that's for the woods, but nonetheless, I'm out there breaking it, you know, doing, doing this number. And Jessica's probably mad because she's got to wash, try to figure out how to get all that out, because uh, I would certainly not be able to and probably shrink my pants beyond repair. But um, I, I'm breaking limbs and all of this and, and stuffing them under my under my tires, and, and, I, and I did the wrong way. I wanted to back up and try. So finally, I got it behind the tire, backed up onto it, and then just hit the gas and got out. And it was, it was just as simple as that. Um, and of course, when people drove by, uh, I just acted like things were okay, you know what I mean? And, um, and the Lord taught me something from that experience, and that is, we're, we're very much like that. Sometimes we too are stuck and we're in the mud. And we're in the mud of life. And when people pass us by, we just sort of wave and smile. Hey, everything's all right. You know, I kind of put down the sticks and like, you know. I mean, you've done it before too, right? You're not like, please help, you know. We, we just, this unprofessional we say. And, and yet there is a time and place to cry for help, isn't there? And there's a time and place to do what we know we've been taught to do. And so if it wasn't for my father, I would have really just continued to hit the gas and got into a rut. And some of us are in a rut. And some of us are deeply stuck in the mud of life and we've not actually got on the road yet. It's been a long time since we've been on the right way. And we know that and we're not asking for anybody's help. And we're trying to do it ourselves. But the problem is we've not been taught how to do it. Now, I would say the how comes from here. And the people that have four-wheel drives and tractors and whatever else can get us out of there are a big bust. Um, they're just a call away. We want to be those people at Harvest Point. Now, as I was thinking about this message about new creation, this, this last sermon in a series of the story that God is telling, some of us have gotten stuck in a way that we view heaven. Or in a way that we even view salvation. 
and we're very confused. We're stuck, so to speak, thinking the wrong things. We think in terms of, I really don't know. I mean, if we were to be honest with ourselves, I really don't know that I want to go to heaven. Especially if I've got to play a harp. I don't even know how to play anything here. And clouds don't impress me all that much unless I'm flying through them in a thunderstorm. And we say, it doesn't sound like there's going to be any more thunderstorms. And that makes life dull. And we get this gray picture of heaven. And I want to challenge you on that today. That, that I want to give maybe a few sticks of truth that we can get some traction to get out of the mud and get back on the road because where God has us leading where he is going, where his road leads to, is joy unexpressible. Imperishable. And full of weight. Full of glory. And so I just want to offer a few texts this morning that, that I pray, really pray, because I... I the past two weeks, I've, there's a lot of people in my life that have been hurting. And I've been one of them. But not just because of death, but also because of sin. Because the best things in life become the worst things in life. Because of the enemy. Marriages that are broken. Friendships. Bitterness. Greed. These are worse than the death of a saint. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are caught in the nastiness of the mud and are unwilling to ask for help. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's really simple. When you talk about what happens after death, you are going to be with the Lord. If you are a Christian and you know him, you are going to be with the Lord. For Jesus says of the man on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. (laughs) Which always throws us off. Why didn't you just say heaven, Lord? Because Jesus, because God is poetic. He's a romantic. He's the one who thought of it. Why do you think the world is so intricately designed? Saturn, for instance, alone. It's like, what's the purpose of that? We don't know. But it's just art. It's beautiful when we see it in the sky or when we see it in pictures from Hubble. It's like, wow, who would have created something so crazy? And it doesn't seem to be any purpose to it. We're all engineers saying, where's the purpose, man? Where's the end product? Show me the process. And we kill things from our scientific understanding. And I want to say to you today, if you want to get unstuck, then let the Lord revivify your imagination about the world that we live in. This is a designed artistic place. It says in the Bible that it's his handiwork. In other words, it's his artwork, not his machine. We've been so industrialized. I, I, forgive me for, for being, being so passionate about it, but I want my own mind. I've been duped for so long to see the world as gray. And all of a sudden when the light comes in, you say, wow, where'd this color come from? 
It's like when all of a sudden somebody moves through our world that has the color of life, we latch on to that. Our hearts long for that. And then we go back to our science, we put on our scientific glasses again and go to work. It kills it all. I'm not saying they had to be fake. I'm not saying you had to become an artist. As I've already said, I'm just a wannabe. But I think that God's an artist. He didn't make a machine, did he? He didn't make a video game just to push buttons and play with us. He made persons that are, as he says, as gods. Literally, in the Old Testament, Elohim. Peter will say here, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. I think we forget that we are not mere mortals. We are beings that will exist for all eternity. And the good that we do and the bad that we do concentrically moves out from us to others in profound ways that no one can measure. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, at the end of The Weight of Glory, his book says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. God, help us live like that. Me, live like that. For we, friends, are the image of God Almighty. Another friend of mine passed a few years back who came to our church. He wasn't a member, but he came to our church, Jerome Reimer. Some of you may remember him from Gooch Place. And... uh, he was always on the front row, and man, just, just signaling back to me just uh, how pumped he was about, you know, the gospel. But one of the things that I never forget with him, and I, and I have a way I remember him in my office, um, is I'd always say to him, Jerome, it's good to see you, man. And he'd always say to me, it's good to be seen. Isn't it, though? Somebody knows your name. That's what this community's offering. When you grieve, we want to grieve. 
When you're joyful, we want to be joyful. If you don't plant yourself anywhere, who could do that? Be planted into the body of Christ so that we might experience love and give love to others. It is who God is in His self-giving of Father to Son to Holy Spirit. The dance, as Lewis actually says in his uh, space trilogy, the cosmic dance of life. At the end of death, for the believer, is the Lord. And then, there's the resurrection of the dead. So then further, those who are in heaven, what we call heaven now, will one day be joined with those who are still remaining. And there will be a resurrection of all the dead. In other words, everybody that has ever existed, literally, every body that has ever existed. Notice Jesus' words. In Matthew 5, I think it's actually John 5, I think that's a typo, it is, it is John 5, <clears throat> 25 to 29, truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live, listen to him, right, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There is a resurrection of the dead in the end even for those who are judged. For we were always meant for our body. We are not meant to be angels. And we misunderstand heaven when we think in terms of, I can't wait to get out of this body. For God is not done with the body. Not even at death is he done with the body. For when Jesus took his first breath in his glorified body, it was the first breath of a new humanity. We're talking about the end. And then we get in Revelation a picture of the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem and the river of life, a city of God coming down into the cities of man. And here's the crazy news. And the secret of secrets, it's already started. For Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, therefore, and believe in the good news. It's here, and yet it's coming. And in Revelation, we get a picture of its final landing, if you will... And notice, contrary to the books that get published and the videos that are made, God's design in the end is not to evacuate us from the earth, but rather for his kingdom to dwell on earth. There is no evacuation to some bodiless 
spiritual existence. Put that away as a pseudo-Buddhist idea of the world. And be truly Christian. For the kingdom of God is coming. And it will come in its fullness. And all things will be made new, Jesus says. All things will be made new. What an end. Think of your own conversion. If you've been saved by Jesus, He took the garbage in my life and turned it into love somehow. Some kind of passionate love that's not even from me. It's alien and yet home in me. For it's our deepest longing. For He is our deepest longing. I um, don't know how to explain it further. And the Bible really doesn't offer us a lot more explanations of the afterlife. But uh, forgive me for doing this, but, uh, but I think our friend who has joined the church triumphant, C.S. Lewis, does the best job I know of maybe picturing this. And I would just ask you to Allow the Lord to let the dead speak. He says, and this is The Great Divorce, which is my favorite book, I think, besides the Bible. And it surprised me how good it was and for what reasons it was good, but that's for another time. The basic idea is they take a bus ride to some middle place where you can either choose to go to hell or heaven. And people from hell get to go there, and people from heaven get to come back to try to convince people in hell to come there from the high country. It's a novel idea, really. (laughs) You know, here's a bus coming out of hell. Anyway, um, and it is told from a person's perspective that came up to this area, right? And and as soon as he gets out, he touches the grass, and the grass cuts through him because he's barely there. It's like a ghost. Here's what he says. But once more my attention was diverted. Is that another river over there, sir? Ask I. The reason why I ask is there another river all down one long aisle of the forest. The undersides of the leafy branches had begun to tremble with dancing light. And on earth I knew nothing so likely to produce this appearance as the reflected lights cast upward by moving water. A few moments later I realized my mistake. Some kind of procession was approaching us, and the light came from the persons who composed it. First came bright spirits, not the spirits of men, who danced and scattered flowers, soundlessly falling, lightly drifting flowers, though by the standards of the ghost world, each petal would have weighed a hundred weight, and their fall would have been like the crashing of boulders. In other words, the flowers they were even carrying would have been like boulders in our world. Then on the left and the right, at each side of the forest avenue came youthful shapes. Boys upon one hand and girls upon the other. If I could remember their singing and write down the notes, no man who read that score would ever grow sick or old. Between them went musicians, and after these a lady, in whose honor all this was being done. 
I cannot now remember whether she was naked or clothed. If she was naked, then it must have been the almost visible penumbra of her courtesy and joy, which produces in my memory the illusion of a great and shining train that followed her across the happy grass. If she were clothed, then the illusion of nakedness is doubtless due to the clarity with which her innermost spirit shone through the clothes. For clothes in that country are not a disguise. The spiritual body lives along each thread and turns them into living organs. A robe or a crown is there as much one of the wearer's feature as a lip or an eye. But I have forgotten, and only partly do I remember, the unbearable beauty of her face. Is it? Is it? I whispered to my guide. Not at all, said he. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. She seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. Eh? (laughs) She is one of the great ones. You have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are these gigantic people? Look, they're like emeralds who are dancing and throwing flowers before her. Haven't you read Milton? A thousand liveried angels lackey her. And who are all these young men and women on each side? They are her sons and daughters. She must have had a very large family, sir. (laughs) Every young man or boy that met her became her son. Even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to the back door, every girl that met her was her daughter. Isn't that a bit hard on their parents? No. There are those that steal other people's children... But her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. Few men looked on her without becoming in a certain fashion her lovers. But it was the kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. And how? But hello, what are all these animals, a cat... Two cats, dozens of cats, and all these dogs. Why I can't count them, and the birds and the horses. They are her beasts. Does she keep a sort of zoo? I mean, this is a bit too much. Every beast and bird that came near her had its place in her love. In her, they became themselves. And now, the abundance of life she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. I looked at my teacher in amazement. Yes, he said. It is like when you throw a stone into a pool and the concentric waves spread out further and further. Who knows where it will end? Redeemed humanity is still young. It has hardly come to its full strength. But already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint such as yonder lady to waken all the dead things of the universe into life. There are some that walk among us with life in them. It is not life from themselves, but God's eternal life. 
and it will grow into something that we've never imagined before. You see, the God who created ladybugs and stars and DNA processes, that still amazed me, but I can't understand. That designed the world that confused even Einstein. Why would we think when we go to meet him finally that it's the end and not the beginning? Why would we think all of a sudden things will become duller in heaven rather than sharper and weightier and more meaningful and more joyful and more happy with mirth and laughter? Look, I've been stuck in the same place as you. I don't want to be. When I consider my mortality, it doesn't make me scared or solemn. It makes me want to hit the gas so that I can give my all to the one who I know will redeem all things in the end. What about you, friend? Further up and further in. That was C.S. Lewis's mantra. Farewell to the shadowlands of this existence. And welcome to the fully day where there is no night. Our end is love. The end is love. Let us continue to tell the story. Because it's a story worth telling. It is the good news that we, as brothers and sisters, have been entrusted. We are not just to tell it, we are to live it. Even in the face of shadows and darkness and death. For we have God on our side. And with Him, all things are possible. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.